Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. The future of the income support scheme revealed. The furlough scheme cannot continue indefinitely. New research suggests 70% of those with the virus could be asymptomatic. What does this mean for the test and trace strategy? I think it's not very clearly understood how infectious people are if they actually do have an infection with the virus but don't show symptoms. And why the pandemic's given tech companies the power of nation-states. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis. As the Chancellor looks to get the country safely back to work, he's revealed details of how he'll taper the job retention scheme for employed workers. The government will continue to cover 80% of furloughed staff salaries up to £2,500 until September, but businesses will have to start paying national insurance and pensions contributions from August. In September, the government will cover 70% of salaries with a greater cost to employers, and in October, that'll drop to 60%. The scheme will then end even if there's a second spike in the outbreak. The Chancellor answered business leaders' calls for greater flexibility within the scheme by confirming that firms can start bringing back furloughed staff part-time from the 1st of July. The scheme was also extended for self-employed people who'll receive a second and final grant in August, a move welcomed by Labour's Shadow Chancellor Annalise Dodds. Rishi Sunak insisted the eight-month scheme was among the most generous in the world, but said it couldn't cover everyone. Despite this extraordinary and significant intervention that we've put in place, I can't and we can't protect every single job and every single business. I have aimed and tried to make the scheme as generous as possible in terms of its duration, its flexibility, the contributions we're asking to try and protect as many of those jobs as possible. And indeed, people like the Office of Budget Responsibility or Bank of England, or indeed, I think today, the Institute for Government have talked about the fact that the scheme has achieved that aim and will mean that it, we are in a better place than we otherwise would have been. The Telegraph's personal finance reporter Jess Beard was following the announcements. For many, it's a move that will allow workers greater freedom and a road to recovery. For others, uncertainty still looms. Business leaders today have been granted the flexibility they've been calling for. The new flexible furloughing system, which comes as part of plans to kickstart the economy, will allow employers to bring furloughed staff back to work part-time. 
Now, a lot of sectors are likely to be regaining their footing by the time these changes do come into force in July, so that the Chancellor's announcement will come as good news in that respect. So far, the furlough scheme has been a life raft which has kept millions of workers from falling into financial hardship. But the government made it clear early on that it can't afford to keep it running indefinitely. So it's no big surprise that it'll start to wind down. But even so, the Chancellor has been more generous than many had expected. Mr Sunak had suggested that employers would be expected to contribute towards wages from August, but in fact they'll only have to contribute towards national insurance and pensions. It's only from September they'll have to chip in more. So it won't be a very big blow for businesses at this stage, but there are still large industries that could be struggling by the end of summer, and that's really where the challenges will lie. Even so, this will come as a huge relief to many in the hospitality sector and other ticketed venues. They were among the first to close and they're likely to be the last to reopen, so the news that they won't have to pay towards wages before autumn will be a huge weight lifted. The harsh reality is that thousands of businesses could unravel when it does come to an end. But in the meantime, the Treasury has given its all to minimising the economic damage. It might hold the clue as to how the virus spread quite so far, quite so quickly. New data from the Office for National Statistics suggests the vast majority of people who contract coronavirus never show any symptoms. According to the new research, 70% of those testing positive don't have symptoms a week before, during or a week after their test. In fact, just one in five reported symptoms on the day of testing. The results are based on a study of almost 900 people run by the ONS and the University of Oxford. It's led to fears that testing and tracing systems aren't quite as effective as previously hoped. If you don't have symptoms, you're unlikely to be tested. But earlier, I spoke to Professor Kevin McConway, the Emeritus Professor of Applied Statistics at the Open University. He told me the impact on the test and trace strategy isn't quite that clear cut. Well, I think on the face of it, it makes things look slightly unpleasant comfortable for that strategy. However, I think it's probably not as bad as it first looks for the following reasons. The first reason is slightly less important, but I'll say at first because it's quite easy to explain. One is that all tests are subject to certain errors and it's possible that some of the people who had a positive test in this survey actually didn't really have the infection at all. And so it wouldn't be surprising that they didn't have symptoms. However, there's there's a bit of evidence that would indicate that actually there probably aren't that many false positives. So let's put that to one side. But the other issue is, I think it's not very clearly understood how infectious people are if they actually do have an infection with the virus, but don't show symptoms. If a lot of them are say, a lot less infectious to others, a lot less likely to transmit um, the virus, then maybe it's not too much of a problem for the track and trace policy if they don't get into it because they haven't got any symptoms. And the trouble is we don't know yet. And what you've got to bear in mind is that the data here come from the pilot stage of this survey. The number of people who actually tested positive so far in the survey is only 87. That's not a very big number. And um, we really don't yet know enough about them, I think it's fair to say. 
Downing Street says it is on course to meet its target of having the capacity to carry out 200,000 tests a day by Monday. The latest figure for Wednesday shows a capacity of over 161,000. But more people tested will, of course, mean more people isolating. Those who can't work from home have already been told to go back to work. So what if they now have to isolate? Who pays their salary? I put that question to Laura Kersley, a partner in the employment law team at Nelson Solicitors. The rules have been tweaked slightly so that um, if you get the new track and trace notification that you need to self-isolate, that that is the equivalent of being off sick for employment law purposes. So you are entitled to at least statutory sick pay for that and your employer will have to pay statutory sick pay for that. That is provided that you meet the criteria for statutory sick pay in the first place. Um, Some people will get more than statutory sick pay because if they have a more generous company sick pay scheme that applies in these circumstances, then they will be entitled to that. Will people be covered under employment law for as many times as they need to self-isolate? I mean, we don't know. It could happen that you're told to self-isolate five times on the trot. Yeah, I, I think you know that is possible. So the the rules don't have a limit to the you know to the amount of times that you can be required to do that. But there are limits in employment law about the amount of uh, statutory sick pay that you can have in a given time period. So the usual rules about that would apply. But it's going to take a lot of fourteen day periods before you get anything to towards that kind of amount of sickness absence. <laughs> In a blow to those hoping to sun themselves on the Greek islands this summer, and if you hadn't already clocked my strange Greek surname, that includes me, the Greek Tourism Ministry has announced that people from 29 countries will be able to enter the country from mid-June, and it doesn't include the UK. The list will expand from July the 1st. Italy's announced it'll open its borders on June the 3rd, Switzerland on June the 6th, and France released border restrictions with European countries who haven't imposed quarantine measures from June the 15th. That means that if the UK quarantine remains in place, France looks likely to impose a reciprocal quarantine on Britons entering the country. If they weren't considered so already, pandemic lockdowns have solidified the notion of tech companies as a necessity. Reliance on the internet, on smartphones and apps and on social media has significantly increased. And while President Donald Trump wants to give tech companies like Twitter less power, on Friday he signed an executive order aimed at removing some of the legal protections given to social media platforms. The Telegraph's special technology correspondent Harry DeKettville says there's no getting away from the fact that the pandemic has seen big tech take on the duties of nation states. We were used to powerful tech companies before COVID-19. But the pandemic has propelled them to new heights, as governments have rushed to collaborate with private firms on everything from the management of health data to tracing apps. It is a throwback, say some analysts, to the days of the Renaissance, when private firms had quasi-state-like powers, and certainly unprecedented since the birth of the modern nation-state two centuries or so ago. As companies become critical to the functioning of nation-states, they are being deployed too, like strategic weapons. America, for example, has just signed a huge new deal with a microchip manufacturer from Taiwan, which China considers its sovereign territory. Sensitive at the best of times, but more so given that China is highly dependent on foreign produced chips. The line between tech and geopolitics has never been thinner. 
China indeed has its own plans, with a project to rethink the very plumbing of the internet in a way that, Oxford analysts say who have worked for NATO, could create a fire hose of data straight to Beijing. Through the heat and dust, it's possible to see two alternate views of the internet emerging, one driven by private enterprise and decentralised, the other far more state-controlled. The question, said Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg the other week, is whose framework is going to win around the world. It's a battle that's being fought at home too. As Covid dramatically empowers Western tech firms, so it may prompt governments to see them as overmighty and take them down a peg, a scrap we are already seeing with the fight between President Trump and Twitter this week. Either way, the pandemic is prompting a rethink of rules that may govern how tech firms will affect us all, at home and abroad, for decades to come. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis, and that's it from me this week. I'll be back on Monday evening with your next update. If you have a question you'd like me to cover on one of next week's shows, maybe you'd like clarification on how the government collects certain data, or perhaps you'd just like to know when's the right time to book some flights. The address is coronaviruspodcast at telegraph.co.uk, and you can find me on Twitter at T underscore Leloudis. And if you've been finding these updates useful, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star rating and perhaps even find the time for a short review on Apple Podcasts. It makes the podcast more visible to more people. If you're not already a Telegraph subscriber, you can get the first 30 days free at telegraph.co.uk slash audio. And whilst you're there, a few bits I wouldn't miss. Our data team has put together a map of all the parts of the UK where the coronavirus death toll is yet to hit its peak. There are 18 councils yet to see the worst of their outbreak, according to the ONS. Click on the link in the show notes to see if yours might be one of them. For some more light-hearted relief, I can highly recommend our music critic Neil McCormick's very funny piece on why he's begging musicians to stop carrying out Zoom gigs. And it's not because he's suffering from screen fatigue like the rest of us. Links to both of those in the show notes to this episode. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 